Amen. Turn with me to the book of Judges. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 6. We're going to read together verses 11 through 18. Judges 6, 11 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. In the Bible, we see that the nation of Israel was to be a holy nation. They were a people that God had chosen for himself out of all the peoples on the earth to be his own possession. They were his people. They were a treasured people. God had set his love on Israel, and God's desire was that as Israel obeyed him... They would be set high above all other nations for praise, for fame, and honor. But the condition of God establishing them and giving them victory was obedience. God revealed himself to them to be a God that was faithful, a God who keeps his covenants and whose loving kindness endures to a thousand generations of those who love and obey him. And God had also revealed himself to be a God who repays those who hate him to their faces, to destroy them. That's in Deuteronomy 7. If you obey me, the Lord said, I will bless you. If you disobey me, the Lord said, I will curse you. And God had commanded Israel to utterly destroy the nations before them. God was clearing away nations that were greater and stronger than Israel. God was delivering nations into Israel's hand, and Israel was directed not to make any covenant with them, not to show favor to them, not to intermarry with them. They were to keep themselves from stumbling blocks. They were to tear down foreign altars, to cut down and burn the idols of the nations that were before them. To be holy is to be separate. And Israel was to function, they were to live apart from the other nations. 
Joshua's last recorded words to Israel before his death were an exhortation to cling to the Lord, to be very firm, to obey God, not to swerve to the left or to the right, not to associate with the nations about them, not to serve their idols, knowing that the enemy would be a snare to them. Joshua told them, in essence, that God was not going to continue to drive out the nations before them to give them victory if they disobeyed God, that if you forsake God, God's going to destroy you. Joshua said in Joshua chapter 3, Take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. But in the book of Judges, we find that the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. And several other tribes allowed the Canaanites to live in the land. Instead of obeying God... Israel thought that they could use the Canaanites and other people about them as forced labor. Israel thought they had a better plan than God. There was no need to be so extreme and to force the enemy out. That, That would be a lot of trouble. It seemed much more reasonable to compromise, to attempt to tap into this previously unrecognized resource. Let us put our enemy to work for us as our servants to help us. Well, what was the outcome? Israel, in compromising, in failing to obey God, falls into idolatry. And Judges chapter 2, verse 11 says that the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. The people's response to Joshua at the beginning had been, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. But that generation had had passed away. They had died. And over time, Israel, who thought they could be smart and compromise in their obedience to God now finds that they had been pulled into idolatry by the nations they had allowed to live and remain among them. Compromise in obedience to God always leads to spiritual failure. Compromise in obedience to God always leads to spiritual failure. If you turn from God just a little... In time, you will find yourself completely apart from God. You open your mind just a little to the ungodliness around you, and before you know it, you have the mind of the world. And you come to see that there are influences in your thinking that you can't control anymore. The sin has grown up into you and has become a part of you. We think that We can contain evil, that we can use it now and then and cast it off when we like. And in the end, we find out that we have no control at all, that it has ruled over us, that we are serving it as opposed to us using it in some way to help ourselves. And I think that is why Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
That is why Paul, in giving a summary of Israel's failure, says in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Right? 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, Christ said, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. And as we come to Judges chapter 6, we see that Israel had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And as a result of that sin, the Lord had given Israel into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. After Israel would put in their crops, Midian would come in large numbers with their friends, the Amechalites, and they would devastate the land. It says that they would leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. The Israelites actually were, were brought to the point where they would make dens for themselves in the mountains and the caves in order to hide from their enemies. Israel has been laid very low, and Scripture tells us that the power of Midian was prevailing against them. Well, an Israelite named Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. When an angel of the Lord appears to him, you think of this, this man is hiding from his enemy. He's living in a devastated land. The judgment of God is upon him because Israel had disobeyed God, because they had forsaken God. And this man Gideon is oppressed by his adversary. It's, it's a pitiful sight. He's hiding this wheat there in the wine press in hopes that he can beat it out without his enemy discovering him. It's the very same state of the one who walks according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedient. They had turned away from God. Gideon is getting exactly what he deserves. God uh, had dealt out judgment on Israel because they were serving Baal. Well, what does the angel of God say to him in verse 12? The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Do you see the grace of God here? Completely unexpected. You know, if a man were to come to Gideon from outside his situation, it would be, look at you. Look what you've done. Look at your people. You're getting exactly what you deserve. You know? Condemnation. Instead, you have this proclamation that the Lord is with him. God comes down to meet a man at the point of his weakness. Gideon doesn't deserve anything from God. He's turned away from God, and it is precisely then when God comes down to him. Well, Gideon is full of unbelief and doubt. And like most men who are weak, Gideon has collapsed inwardly. The Lord says to him, hey, you're a valiant warrior. You You can almost feel what Gideon's expression must have been. He's hiding from his enemy. You're talking to me, like you're calling me valiant? That was, that was the Lord's perspective 
of Gideon because the Lord had come down to Gideon. But Gideon's response is one of complete doubt. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles? The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He doesn't understand why he is as he is there. Why has all these have all these things happened to us? Well, the answer is obvious, right? The reason that all these things had happened to Israel was because of their sin. Over and over again in the book of Judges, it's recorded that Israel sins against the Lord. So the Lord delivers them into the hand of their enemies. Then Israel cries out to the Lord for mercy. God has pity on them and raises up judges to deliver them from their oppression. But in their deliverance, Israel forgets God and turns again to serve false gods. So the cycle continues, and God's hand is against them again, and Israel is brought into servitude to other nations. Gideon doesn't understand this. He doesn't see the justice of God. Gideon's view is that God has just forsaken Israel. He's just abandoned them. He's struggling with the concept of God's justice. And again... What is the response of the Lord to Gideon's unbelief? Well, first the Lord says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then the Lord says, Go in this your strength. Verse 14. Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Again, you see the kindness, the patience the grace of God, that God is not like man. The Lord is so gentle with Gideon here, who is full of discouragement and unbelief. The Lord says, go in this your strength. And Gideon's reply is essentially, you don't understand. I I am actually the least influential member of the least significant family in our tribe. How can you say that I have strength? How can you say that I can deliver the entire nation from our enemy? Gideon, he doesn't doesn't get it. Gideon is obsessed with himself. He can't stop looking at himself and his own ability, his own resources. So again, in grace, the Lord clarifies for Gideon that his own personal strength is is not his strength. And in verse 16, the Lord says, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Brethren, our strength is not our strength. Our strength is in the Lord. What does Paul write to the Ephesians after he has exhorted them that they are chosen in Christ, after he has encouraged them with the fact that they are raised up with Christ, that they are brought near by the blood of Christ? What does he say as the consummation of an exhortation to walk worthy of the calling with which they have been called, to be imitators of God, to be filled with the Spirit? to live out the unity of Christ and the church in the marriage, and to do the will of God from the heart. What does Paul say at the end of it all 
in his letter to the Ephesians. How can all this be done? How can all this be accomplished? What does he say? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You look to yourself and you see that you're nothing. You're weak. You're helpless. You don't have victory over sin. You can't go on as you are. The power of the adversary is prevailing against you, just as Midian had against Israel. But when God comes down and meets you where you are, your own strength in the midst of the battle becomes absolutely inconsequential. It doesn't matter. Because when God comes down to a man, he comes in power to save. Be strong in the Lord. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Go in this your strength, the strength of the Lord. Gideon feels that God has abandoned him. He feels that God's treatment of Israel is unjust. He sees his own weakness and he thinks himself completely unable to defeat his adversary. And the Lord is gracious and patient as he deals with Gideon's unbelief. Gideon asks for a sign that he has God's favor. And the angel of the Lord causes fire to spring up out of a rock and consume meat and some unleavened bread. The Lord blesses Gideon and encourages him not to fear. And if you read Judges 6 and 7, you see just how supernatural the grace of God is toward Gideon. Again, how patient God is with Gideon. The Lord tells Gideon to tear down his father's Asherah pole, which was a means of idol worship. Well, Gideon is too afraid to obey the Lord in the, in the daytime. He's afraid of other men in the city, what might happen to him if he obeys the Lord. So he goes with his servants at night, and he takes down the pole in the dark. Gideon obeys in weakness, but he does obey. It reminds me of First or Second Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things. He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, if anyone cleanses himself from these things. But Gideon does continue on in doubt as to whether or not God is really able to deliver Israel using Gideon. So as many of you will recall, Gideon places a fleece of wool on the ground and he asks God to make it wet with dew and to keep the ground dry, and God grants this to Gideon as a sign. But Gideon then goes on and asks God to keep the fleece dry and to make the ground wet with dew. And the Lord is gracious and grants it to Gideon as a sign as well. Brethren, praise God, we do not have to ask God for a sign of his favor today. We don't need to ask for any additional proof of his love for us, of his intention 
to carry us safely through this world or of the certainty of victory over sin and the devil and the grave. No greater sign of God's favor can exist than the cross of Jesus Christ. That the very Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. As the great hymn says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. There is now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, as the story of Gideon is unfolding, we cannot deny that this was a real man who is acting like most men with little faith. But Gideon cannot get away from the fact that God has come to him, and he is compelled by the grace of God to obey him, although his efforts are weak and feeble. The Lord has assured Gideon that God is going to deliver Israel through him or by his hand. So Gideon gathers 32,000 men to himself to prepare for battle. Gideon has prepared his own strength. And what is God's response? Well, the same God who says to a weak, oppressed man, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior is the same God who goes on to say to Gideon in uh, Judges 7, verse 2, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into your hand. Too many to fight? What does that even mean? Uh, That doesn't make sense to us. You know, the wise man plans, he prepares, he has option A, and then option B, and then option C. He has a spare, he has a backup generator, right? Just in case, so it'd be better to have too much than too little, to be overprepared rather than underprepared. But God is not like man. God doesn't have plan B's, does he? Because his plan A is the only plan. A plan that has always and will always come to pass because God is sovereign and omnipotent and wise. So what is God getting at in rejecting Gideon's proposal of using 32,000 men to defeat Midian? Well, if you look at at Judges chapter 7, verses 2 through 7, we see that God knows our weakness. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 people remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. He's already reduced it by 70%. 
down to 30% of what Gideon brought, too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I said to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the, peop now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the three hundred men who lapped, and will give the Midianites into your, into your hands. You know, men have a weakness for stealing glory from God. Men have a disposition for trusting in their own strength and for taking credit for God's work. Gideon assembles the best that he has, but 70% of the men he brings are afraid and trembling. So God's just like, what is this as a joke? You know, just, just go on, go home. So 32,000 are quickly reduced to 10,000, but the Lord says that's too many. So finally it's reduced to 300. You know what 300 is as a percentage of 32,000? 0.94%. So we can round up to 1%, okay? What is God saying? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. 300 men cannot deliver a nation from an enemy which the text tells us is like locusts in number with innumerable camels. God is saying to Gideon, I am your strength. And there is no way I'm going to let Israel think that they are delivering themselves. I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. I am going to use you. You are not going to use me. See, when God uses us, it's not like a man with a bulldozer who, you, who moves a mountain. Because in that case, the bulldozer is stronger than the man. The bulldozer is stronger than the operator. It is not like God is the driver and we are the essential machine for the job. It's more like God, as a skilled artist allows you as a small child to enter his studio. And at the right time, God brings you near to the canvas of his work and takes your hand. You don't have any skill, but he places a brush in your small hand, and then he puts his hand over yours and steadies it and guides it as certain lines and shades are made. God is the potter, right? We are the clay. It's not even essential that God include us in his work at all, as though we provide some necessary element to the job, but God, being who he is, in his grace and mercy, 
allows us to come along with him in his work. And it seems to me that this very same idea is here in Judges. Gideon is allowed to contribute 1% out of his 100% to God's work because God does want to use Gideon as an instrument by which God is going to demonstrate his own power and skill to Israel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4.6. And we passed over it, but a crucial element in the story of Gideon is seen in Judges 6, verse 34. What does it say? 6.34, so the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Lord was with him. He was upon him. Even before the enemy is encountered, what does God say to Gideon in chapter 7, verse 9 and 10? Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. God has secured victory in advance of anything Gideon has done. But what does it go on, verse 10? But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp. Gideon is afraid, and God graciously allows him to bring his servant with him into the camp. What do we see here? God cares about how we feel. That's something for the hyper-Calvinist to think about. <laughs> if you are afraid, go down. That, that, that is, that's striking. I mean, God is that interested, that attentive to the entire person of Gideon. I mean, it puts me to shame as a parent. You know, at times, I don't really care how you feel about it. Just do what I'm telling you, okay? Don't talk back. Just do it. But God is so gracious. He is so kind. So Gideon goes into the enemy camp with his servant, and he hears the enemy speaking with a friend about a dream. And when the man hears the, the interpretation of that dream, again, this is the enemy speaking, the enemy says, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. So the Lord is impressing on the enemy that Gideon is going to be victorious. This should be an encouragement to us. God doesn't just work on one side of the street. If God is working in your life and influencing you to seek him, you can be assured that God is ultimately also working in the world to influence our adversaries for our good. The outcome of God's grace to sinners who are in bondage to sin, is victory. As the story goes on, 300 men blow their trumpets with torches in hand, and it says that the Lord causes the enemy camp to go into confusion, and they actually turn against themselves, and the enemy is driven out. Gideon is a weak man. Even after this great display of God's grace in his life, and toward Israel, he goes on to have other problems in his life, other struggles, other sin. But 
chapter 8 goes on to tell us that Gideon goes on weary yet pursuing his enemy. Weary yet pursuing. Despite all his weakness, the final word of Scripture on this man is a word that passes over all of his unbelief and fear. Hebrews 11 records the men of old who gained approval through their faith. And in Hebrews 11, verse 32, we find the phrase, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me. (laughs) For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Gideon the sinner? Gideon the doubter? Gideon the one oppressed by sin? Gideon the man gripped by fear? No, no, no. Gideon, the man of faith. That is how God concludes the life of Gideon. By saying, in essence, you know, Gideon, he trusted me. Amazing. Such mercy and grace from God toward weak men. Will the Lord help us to increase our faith in the Lord who is our strength, who causes us to be victorious? May we seek him and trust God to use us as he sees fit in the world. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.